listening to Podcasting Paradigms with David Truss and Grant Friend as we discuss flexible schools. Have you ever wondered what a flexible high school could look like? How can we empower students with more self-directed and inquiry time? Thank you for joining Grant and I on an educational drive from Osoyoos to Vancouver, BC after a Flexible Schools Network meeting. We discuss flex blocks and flexible schedules and share stories about designing learning environments with empathy for the learner and the teachers in our schools. Three things worth mentioning before we get started. First, we're in a car and there are some minor volume issues that I've tried to adjust. Second, ask yourself along the way about who you can connect with in your schools to collaborate and create more flexible structures for you and your students. And finally, be sure to check out the links in the show notes found on podcasts.davidtrust.com. And while you're at it, subscribe, comment, or rate this podcast on iTunes. Thank you. You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with Dave Truss, and I have Grant Friend with me here today. And we are coming home from a flexible schools meeting in Osoyoos, BC, Canada's only desert. Have a Google search of that to figure out that yes, we do have a desert. And Grant, if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm Grant Friend. I am the principal at Thomas Haney Secondary School in Maple Ridge, uh, which is a a fairly innovative uh, high school. Um, As well, I'm kind of, I guess, uh, the organizer of the BC Network of Flexible Schools, which is an ad hoc group of about 20 or 25 high schools who are looking at um, ways to look at making their school structures more flexible. And yeah, it's been a fantastic uh, opportunity to be part of the Flexible Schools group. And uh, as ad hoc as we are, when we get together, it's just amazing the conversations that happen and uh, the amazing things that are happening across BC as far as schools doing unique things with, within the confines and limitations of uh, making things work with funding and with uh, some pretty crazy schedules. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the network really arose out of kind of the observation that there were, um, we were seeing some really interesting pockets of innovation in the province, but there was kind of no real way to connect people, um, whether they were already involved with innovative structures or whether they were looking at trying to become more innovative with their structure. Um, You know, we kind of thought, well, let's see if we can collect up a bunch of people, you know, the renegades, if you will, and let's sit down and start having some discussions about the common challenges or obstacles that we face, as well as sharing and celebrating the successes that we've had along the way. So the group started with, I think, six or seven schools, and um, now we're in contact with 25 to 30 uh, high schools and middle schools from around the province, you know, mostly secondary schools. Um, and so we meet twice a year at uh, kind of at a host school. We have a tour, we hear about what's happening at the host school, and then we move into kind of smaller teams uh, looking at various issues or challenges that we face. And we went to a Soyuz specifically because of them having to do a major transformation just to stay open this year uh, with a extreme declining enrollment. Uh, they had to look at how can they create more opportunities for students to actually have a variety of choices and selections in their program 
when they're a full high school with, I believe, uh, 10 teacher uh, FTE. Or so. Uh, yeah, so they, um, you know, they shared with us that I think over the past 12 or 13 years, I think, they had gone from 400 students to 200. Uh, and so they wanted to be able to offer their senior students in the grad program a, um, a, wide, array, a, a wide array of, of courses. So this year um, they've implemented a flexible schedule that, you know, that features learning centers. So their grade 10 through 12 students have set classes, they're semestered. So they have three set classes a week in each subject and then there are learning center times where they decide where they're going to go and what they're going to work on. Uh, they also have one credit X block courses where um, the students worked with the teachers to decide what they'd like to learn about and uh, over the course of the year they they complete four one credit elective courses in a wide variety of areas so one of the graphics they showed us uh, was that moving into this kind of a schedule has allowed them to offer I think the number was about 20 more electives for their students uh, even though they've declined in size so it's a really uh, powerful notion that by playing with how they use their time they've actually allowed their students more opportunities to learn about a wider uh, variety of topics and, and you mentioned the idea that for grade 10 to 12 they have their core classes that you know the math the science the english the, those those core classes are three blocks a week the grade uh, eight and nine they actually have the five block a week for their core classes so they have a little less of the learning center and opportunities like that but it is a progression where they're getting them used to that idea first so uh, I think that's a pretty neat thing that they've done yeah absolutely and I think you know whenever you design something um, you, you know your first iteration is your first iteration so um, you know for me it's always exciting when we visit a school to see um, where they are and if it's new if it's year one um, uh, you know it, it uh, you know it's interesting to hear the story but then you know I also wonder about where uh, where they will be in three years and we often hear Gene uh, Dory from AL Fortune uh, they're in year four in their flexible schedule and uh, hearing about the iterations that they've gone through is interesting as well so you know I applaud Asoyuz for taking that leap um, you know and I you know I look forward with interest to hearing um, where their model evolves to and, and what's fantastic to see is uh, Asoyuz would not have been able to do a model like this without piggybacking off the experience of Gene and AL Fortune and I think that uh, he, he's a bit of a pioneer in that so many people are taking the model that he designed and he's been so open in sharing what they do and uh, providing tours to his school and so on and you and I uh, both experienced that a little bit. Uh, I was thinking uh, before we kind of get into a discussion about flux model and things like that can you tell us a little bit about uh, your school and, and how unique it is and for how long you've been around sure so uh, Thomas Haney's in its 25th year um, when uh, kind of two phases really of, of what the structure looks like um, for the first uh, I'm gonna say 15 years roughly um, other than our grade 8 students and it's an 8 to 12 school there were no set classes for students uh, we have seminars we had seminars and I was a teacher there at the time so the students would receive learning guides 
They would work their way through the learning guides with the assistance of seminars that we would offer uh, regularly, as well as accessing help from teachers in our large work areas. So the design of our building is such that it supports uh, four or five large work areas where between two to four teachers would work when they weren't doing seminars. You call them great halls? Yes, yeah, they're great halls. And um, so we would kind of work through it like that. About 10 years ago, um, they added set blocks. So our grade nines have two set classes a week for every subject. Um, and our grade 10 through 12 students have one set class a week for every subject. So uh, the senior students in the grad program have about 16 hours a week of flexible time where they decide where in the building they go and what they're going to be working on. And it all depends on their schedule and what, and what they've been assigned by their teachers. Uh, within that, the students have, um, have more choice in how they show their learning and, and what they've learned. So um, we are a member of the Canadian Coalition of Self-Directed Learners. Uh, and so the expectation is that teachers are providing opportunities with students to have more say um, in what, when, uh, and how they learn. And for, as someone who's visited the school, I have to say that for school design 25 years ago, it, it really is progressive in, in the way that it's looked and the way the, the design encourages sort of the uh, coming together around different ideas in great halls and, and, and giving the students the freedom to move around uh, to different places that they need to go but not be a distraction and roaming the halls and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it actually fits really well with our BC New Curriculum uh, as far as a model school for as far as what it looks like. Any comments about what you think there? Yeah, well, I think, um, you, know, the, you know, we do have some students who wander the halls at times, you know, you know, but I think we can find that in any high school in the province. Yes. You know, for me, what's what's really powerful is that that you know is that our flexible timetable. It provides all these opportunities for students, but it also provides unlimited opportunities for staff to team teach with each other, to run with ideas that, um, in a traditional school, um, you are a victim sometimes of the block schedule. Um, you know, at our school, uh, if you've got an idea, you can run with it. I share oftentimes a story last year of some students. Uh, who working with our department head for social studies decided that they wanted to make a trench um, to learn about World War I warf uh, warfare. So they'd read about it, but they wanted to kind of know what the experience was like. So they showed up on a Thursday with a bunch of shovels when I was out of town, and they got at it. And, uh, you know, Friday afternoon on my way home, they phoned and said, hey, um, we just want to let you know we've got this thing going on. We called WorkSafe, followed all the guidelines, but we thought we should let you know before you get on the plane that when you come home at the back of the school, there's a 4 by 12 by 4 uh, trench. So it was a super cool project that evolved just Wednesday afternoon. They decided, hey, let's do this Thursday and Friday. And because of their flexible schedule, um, either they didn't have set classes on Thursday or Friday, or they were able to attend set classes at other times during the week, um, you know, that freed up their schedule. So for me, um, why I love flexible scheduling, um, it provides, you know, fantastic opportunities for students, but it also lets teachers run with their ideas too. And you talked about the value of that to other classes as well when we talked earlier. Just uh, visiting the class, like tours kind of going through and... Yeah, so you know, as I walk around um, and tour through, I'm always reminded of, of the opportunities that we have. So for me, um, whenever we, we work with schools or have tours or visitors in, um, we talk about kind of not trying to imitate Thomas Haney because we've got our own issues 
but we always talk about when you're here really think about the notion of time and uh, Grant Lichtman a writer uh, and blogger says that oftentimes in education we view time as the constant but in reality it's it's our most important variable we decide what the schedule is um, and we oftentimes will fall back on excuses that the schedule won't let us but if the schedule won't let us then we need to change the schedule because we're in charge of the schedule the schedule is not in charge of us that's an excellent point and I think that uh, you know what what we see is that with both of our experiences yes no matter whether you have a very structured inflexible schedule or you have a lot of free time there are students who are have not figured out how to use their time well the schedule itself and being more structured isn't something that makes that any better and what it does is it creates new challenges of well how do I make sure I follow up with a student when I don't see them in face-to-face -face all, all the time that's just a different challenge that's not actually something new um, as far as you know well what are we going to do with these students um, but the flip side of that is when you have a very structured schedule there are limitations to how creative students and teachers can be whereas when it's extremely flexible it's it's much more wide open for uh, for all the um, learners in your building both adults and, and students to recognize uh, that they have an incredible freedom to to take their ideas and really go with them yeah absolutely I think we have to really think about uh, what do we want when you know when our grade 12s leave our building um, how do we want them to uh, be as learners? I think we sometimes think, well, um, our kids are in classes, they're doing well, um, they're going to university, they're doing all these things, they're not complaining, so why would we look at changing? You know, but I really think we have to ask ourselves, um, you, know, you know, for students to be successful in the world that's waiting for them, um, what do they need from us before they go? And I really think it's learning how to self-manage, you know, themselves. You know, as much as, as it's about self-directed learning, it's also about becoming self-managed because the second that you leave high school, no one's ringing the bell saying, here's what you have to do. Uh, so, you know, for me, the power is really in watching kids um, learn how to self-manage and and, and they fall sometimes and we help them back up and then they fall again and we help them back up again rather than they fall when they're finished high school because they've kind of they've played the game for so long and, and they've understood the rules or not uh, either way they leave high school not really ready for what's out there because they've been told what to do for so long and uh, it, it reminds me of talking to you know Inquiry Hub had its first graduates this year two, two kids went right into UBC engineering and I had a chance to talk with both of them that gave me the same message when I asked them, you know, how are things going this year? This year? And the answer was, it's a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work. Um, but that, that's, that was just an observation that they realized that I just have to manage more time that I put to my work. That wasn't that I can't do this. You know, the dropout rate in our universities tends to exceed 10% for first-year students not coming back to uh, second year. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. It's not just that they can't handle it, but I think too high a ratio of those dropouts are students that are away from home the first time, have never had to manage themselves, have never had to figure it out for themselves. And when a, a student can go through a self-directed program and then tell you, oh, there's just so much work to do now, 
and then just go ahead and do it and be successful and finish the year really positive. I, I think that that's a signal that you know the, their experience in school is actually preparing them for what they're seeing in university. Well, yeah, you know, I think you know, you know, our kids at Thomas Haney, um, you know, I think back to my first years of university, um, attending a uh, lecture with you know 300 people, and. You know, lots of students will go, eh, whatever, I don't have to go. Uh, you know, our students have been through that, maybe missing a seminar or a lecture, um, and know the value of it. So, you know, they've made that mistake already. So they're not going to go blow that time at university because they've been through it before. Uh, and they know that there's some recovery that needs to happen if you miss those important things. So uh, Thomas Haney students often report back to us that um, we're probably equally prepared in terms of content knowledge uh, and what we need but we are way better prepared to manage the life that is rushing at us at 100 miles an hour in university which is you got to figure this out um, you've got three papers due you got seminars lectures exams everything else and oh yeah you have to work and do these other things we can manage that it's not always easy but um, we're not we don't feel we don't feel that we are at the same level of stress as our peers that have attended more traditional schools not to say that those schools haven't done fantastic jobs in preparing the kids, but the reality is our kids have, have, have um, worked through a very a similar system for three years in the grad program at Thomas Haney as you do in university or college. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, there are a lot of schools that are more traditional that are really handing uh, students uh, excellent experiences. Totally. What, we're, we're not trying to downplay that, but what we are trying to say is Providing students choice and flexibility in how they spend their day is one of those qualities that is just an, a, a, a bonus that you get in a, in a school that provides more flexibility. So th um, is there anything else you want to share about the, your school specifically? Um, no, I mean, I think I've gone over kind of the basic stuff there. I mean, there's lots to see, lots to learn. However, most of it... Um uh, it kind of is an on-site or a visit thing where it kind of it can make more sense. Yeah, and uh, you and I are both used to having yeah. visitors flow through our yeah. school, so the doors are always open. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we, we both like to do is we have uh, student-focused tours, and I think that uh, something that um, was really interesting uh, to hear was Gene uh, yeah. was saying, uh, remember when you're going on tours, to visit external schools take students with you and I did that once actually at your school and after my my students had had a tour during a conference where they were doing a little uh, they were they were presenting at the conference yeah. but um, for this conference um, the, the school was opened up Thomas Haney was opened up for for visitors and, and they had tour guides and so on and when we finished the tour I sat down with my students with a notepad and sat and took notes about their perceptions and that was really good to take back to my staff and, and kind of discuss sort of the um, what it is that uh, the students observed as far as, as your kind of school experience versus ours. Yeah, you know, and I really linked that to the design thinking process in that if we're gonna redesign our schedules, uh, we have to, we you know, we have to involve all of the users, you know, of that schedule. So. Um, you know, we really, you know, before we, we, we kind of think about what we want to be doing with the schedule, we need to be having empathy interviews with our students and our staff around 
kind of what are the issues that we're seeing? What are the problems that we're trying to solve? Uh, so for me, Gene's uh, advice is so right. Um, have the kids there so that we can really kind of see and hear what they think about it. You know, what are their needs and, and what are their thoughts on what they've seen? Uh, you know, for me, that really is a big key in the design process. And I'm going to encourage that from now on. And whenever uh, a school comes and asks to come, I'm going to ask them, are you planning on bringing kids? Because I think that that's a, that's a really powerful thing to do. Yes, unless they're from Australia or New Zealand and they're flying a long way. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> I, yes, they can still come from Alberta, though. Totally, totally. So um, a, a large focus today was around the flex, the flex block. And you and I have an interesting perspective on flex block. And so I, I want to I wanna coin a, an important thing about this because uh, I think flex block is a, a way to move a, a staff forward in some ways. And we'll talk about some positives. I think we'll, we'll, we'll be attacking a more negative perspective of it for a little bit. But that doesn't take away from what Asoyus was totally. able to do. Yeah, or and anybody the, else. Or, or anyone else, but you know, because Asoyus uh, has been able to provide so much more opportunity for students that they just wouldn't Absolutely. have without this. Um, so for those that don't, may not know, a flex block is basically a scheduled time in the day when there isn't a, um, it isn't one of the, the classes scheduled in, in, their, in their program. Uh, it can be for credit or not, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about, about that through a couple different things. One's considering an X block where you're giving students sort of partial credit courses. Another is uh, the idea of doing an IDS, um, and sometimes it's just uh, worked into the schedule as uh, part of support so and so or, on. Well, uh, like, or it's just flexible time. It's not yes. for credit, it's just where you're working on the work that's been assigned in other subject areas. And, and so there's lots of different venues, but just to give that perspective of it, um, I, I'll, I'll go first and, and sure. say one of the challenges I have with FlexBlock is uh, when you're looking at creating student choice and, and for us having them develop their own questions and uh, inquiry questions and so on, uh, one of the challenges that I, I concern me about FlexBlock is FlexBlock becomes like Genius Hour, which I also like as a as a means to introduce um, individual classes to, to ideas, but it becomes a set schedule where here's the time in the day where you get to be creative or you get to do things, and then the rest of the day is normal. And and to me that that might be a nice stepping stone to a more inquiry-based, self-directed model, but it isn't in itself something that can. Um, any comments on that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're kind of in the third year of the network, so there's, you know, there's many kind of variations of flex block and X block. Um, you know, it's exciting to know that, um, you know, at high schools especially, we have so, uh, so many high schools out there playing with that notion of time. Um, you know, and 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 it's like when we have these meetings and we hear about the things that are going on, and you think about. Um, all the really super intelligent teachers and administrators that are working on this it really is awe-inspiring um, you know for me though what it's about is at the end um, it is about providing the students and the teachers with more flexible time to pursue the things that they want to pursue uh, you know so again you know X block uh, kind of along the way you know it's a great you know it's a great place to start um, you know, I guess my hope is that, um, you know, Jerry Mor uh, Jeremy Morrow shared with me, he's uh, 
the principal at Timberline Secondary in Campbell River, they're kind of on uh, uh, Flex 2.0 there. And, and they use it for various things, for challenge, um, you know, for extra help, etc. But he said what FlexBlock is really allowed to happen at his school is teachers are now looking at how they teach in a new way. So for me, that's the power of it. Yeah. Uh, when he says, I've got teachers looking at team teaching, it's because of the time that Flex has allowed, you know, for these kind of really interesting things to happen. They want to take this into the kind of the more uh, typical classroom situation so for me um, it really is about using flex as a lever to change the practice of teachers so that we can change the experience of kids that that's a fantastic point and the other thing I loved about the uh, Soyuz model that they created is oftentimes when you're uh, have students that need a learning support block what ends up happening is they end up having to miss the elective that they love in order to do the support block They've been able to schedule uh, learning support, learning center time that does not interfere with their regular schedule. And uh, they even mentioned that, uh, uh, that one of their yeah. one of their learning support uh, students that has really struggled all year actually made honor roll this this term, right? And because he realized, wait a minute, you mean I can get my support, not have to do homework after school, and then still do all the things I do, I, I get to normally miss. And so he's just been thriving. And so. Yeah, the, the, you know, I, I do see limitations to FlexBlock as far as moving to a greater scale of more choice in the end. But I do see it as a really positive transition for schools uh, for two reasons. One, it does give the, the educators a chance to play with their own passion projects and to see um, what it's like to be an empowered learner with your students and to try new and innovative things. And two, it's providing students with choice that they would not normally have in a more constrained schedule. Well, and I think kind of, you know, I've never really reflected, um, you know, in a way that I have when that teacher this afternoon said, um, rather than missing an elective course, the kid can have support and remain in all, you know, his or her electives. So, you, you, you know, you wonder about how many uh, times, you know, as a system, um, have we removed a student from an area that they're super uh, passionate about so that they could receive additional support? So, we, you know, we take them out of the area that they might love, uh, you know, shop or fine arts, so that we can remediate, um, you know, areas where they struggle. And, and we so, wonder why they don't enjoy school. Uh, uh, you know, for me, that was such a, probably the biggest takeaway of the day for me was that. Um, and just that kind of thing like wow like we've been doing that for so long and 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 not really thinking about it uh, you know flex uh, blocks allow us to meet the needs of the kids you know overall and it's not just about the academics but it's also recognizing the value of the electives you know in the development of the child and before we started recording one of the things you mentioned about flex block is for us to remember what is the purpose of it right so um, you know, again, why, you know, why, you know, if you're looking at a flex block, why are you looking at it? What is the problem that you hope to solve? Um, the problem may be student engagement. Uh, the problem might be um, not enough or, you know, community where, um, you know, it might be where they're, you know, everyone's working and not having the time for homework because of social economic factors. There could be any number of reasons why you're looking at flex time. 
you know, for me, um, it gets down to providing more authentic choice for students um, in determining what their needs are. Um, you know, Mike and Lyle at Asoyus, they did a fantastic job of discussing that whole notion that not every kid needs, if you're in a semester school, say five blocks of math a week. Um, there are kids that will need two, but there are those that will need nine. And when you run a flexible schedule like they do with learning centers, where you give the kids options and you teach the kids and work with them on recognizing how to make good choices with that time so that they're not signing up for nine blocks of you know one thing when they're failing something else. You know, for me, that's kind of a really neat notion that um, uh, you know, we're going to work side by side with the kid on that. And, and year one, and we, had, we heard from one of the math teachers who said he finds that his kids come more prepared for class when they do have the three times a week class than he's seen in the past. And this is just still only year one of them trying to figure this out. Well, and I think the ones who need them, you know, kind of the more time in math are able to take more time. Um, rather than rushing through, which is what we do, because we feel so crunched for time in secondary that um, we sometimes move on before the students are ready. And I think allowing the kids the choice to say, I need more time in this one area this week, you know, for me, um, that's so powerful because it, it's, it's recognizing the uniqueness of each uh, learner and it's really letting um, the students personalize uh, their education experience it, it encourages them to be to self-advocate the other piece of that too is um, how often if uh, math is a good example how often are you reviewing a question in math that someone got wrong but a third to two-thirds of the class might have gotten it right and didn't need that time well they're not going to the LA the, the learning support block um, but the student who does need does need that help is getting support with only two other students that need the help and not an entire class that are sitting there waiting for those two to get the, the help that they need. Yeah, absolutely. So you think about, um, you know, maybe uh, create 10 students uh, and you're trying to help a small group in a full class, but you're also having to manage the other students. Um, you know, what I really like about the Flex model is that it lets you target those interventions for those students that really need them and you can focus your time and drill down there on those students. Uh, and so what you do is, is you improve um, their self-esteem and how they see themselves as a learner because they're not, they're not having to um, kind of wade through another you know, 60, 75 minutes of math where they're confused. They start to see themselves as real learners because they start to uh, you know, advocate for themselves and learn that, oh, I can go ask for help, I can get extra time for this. And, and, and they can be successful. And one of the aspects of uh, uh, FlexBlock, you know, we mentioned sometimes it's funded, sometimes it's designed to be support and, and just a, a choice. Uh, but we also talked a little bit about XBlock. Do you want to talk about what, what kind of FlexBlock XBlock is? Sure. So, you know, again, and, and, and I don't have them at my school, so I'm, I'm relaying um, my perceptions of what I heard at Asoyus, but what I've also heard from before at AL Fortune with Gene. Um, so the X blocks are a way for schools, uh, generally it seems smaller schools who want to offer more electives, um, to ask the kids the things that they would like to learn about, um, to share those ideas with staff, and to find teachers who, who are willing to um, lead 
one credit elective blocks. So in a year, you would complete four of these elective classes that are worth one credit. So for example, today I went into one on introductory Spanish. Um, there is one on, on, on foods of the world. There is an advanced soccer skills. There was psychology and film. Um, I can't remember what the other three or four were. So each term, the students sign up for these and they attend uh, with the teacher. And at the end, they receive a one credit course at, um, you know, at a Soyuz. Um, they find uh, ministry approved courses that connect with the learning that's going to happen and they prepare uh, outlines so that um, they ensure that they are meeting uh, what the ministry needs. Uh, it, you know, but the students sign up for those. So four times a year, they wrote, you know, they have a new one credit course. And what that does is allow the teachers to kind of marry their passions with the passions of the students. And, and what I really like there is giving the choice to, to, uh, to students as well as far as helping to select what those are. I want to apologize to everyone listening because I probably blew your ears out. I just found out by pressing a button that I why our voices were so quiet. And so when it got really loud there, it probably uh, had to lower the volume and I, I apologize in advance. Hopefully I've fixed that before it, it comes out. If not, I'll probably give a pre-warning. So. Okay, um, so that's X-Block. The, the, another thing that we're both very interested in is the idea of uh, how do you truly uh, move and, and make changes in, in what's a really exciting time in education. And you have a, a, a little thing you say about vision. Well, um, you know, I think whenever a teacher approaches me with an idea, you know, I think we should always fund vision. Uh, so, so you know, I'm not so interested in, re in requests for stuff unless there's vision that's attached with it. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's that idea of, okay, let's flesh this out. And if you have an idea uh, in a flexible model, uh, we, can, we can probably make it work if it makes sense. Uh, you know, so for me, it, you know, it, it is always, okay, let's fund that vision. You know, I think if we're looking at change, um, you know, I read something recently and it's, it's what I'm really starting to use now to, to, to manage change, which is the three box model, which is honor the past, um, manage the present and create the future. And the one thing that I remember from this reading uh, is the phrase, the past always fights back. And so whenever we're talking about change, whether it's in our school or, or I'm in discussions with other schools, it's just remembering that the past always fights back. And, we're, and, we, and we just have to have that in mind. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes um, uh, we, what we really need to explore when we talk about the past is uh, there, there's a word that gets thrown around called uh, tradition. And I think tradition uh, needs to be respected. But the things that are defined as tradition often aren't tradition as much as they are habit. And so it's, oh, it's, it's clearly sort of drawing that line of, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to make a change to kill a tradition. But what's the purpose of that tradition right and I think um, uh, sorry I just lost my train of thought so well so here, here's one that I'll throw out just as an idea uh, a lot of times traditions around uh, award ceremonies right. and what they look like and and you know it was a big decision for us with our first graduating class of uh, last year about what were awards going to be and what does that look like and do we even have them and so uh, for us, we did decide, you know, we have, we have focuses around steward, stewardship, design, uh, communication, and identity. 
And so since those are sort of uh, nodes or focuses for our school, we figured that we those would be the titles for our our awards. So we're not just recognizing someone because of their academics. That that can come in, but we're really recognizing their ability to be really creative in design, their ability to communicate their ideas, uh, their ability to find their place in in the world and, and their own identity and, and where that belongs in the community, and their ability to lead and to show stewardship, uh, uh, which I think is an important. But that was, you know, we, we recognize that we're starting a tradition there with, with giving out awards in the first place. We right. hadn't done it for the first right. three years of our school. And do we actually want to implement this or not? And, and it's, you know, one of the interesting deciding factors for us is when we only had uh, uh, 14 students graduating, we actually wanted everybody in the school to be there to celebrate. And providing awards provided sort of that reason to bring the entire community together right. and invite parents, not just of the students that were graduating. And so when, you know, when we fill an auditorium with 100 people for our 14 graduates, it, we gave them an experience that felt like a real graduation for a really small school. Um, but that couldn't be the only reason to give out awards. Right. And if it was the only reason, then we're building a tradition without the right reasons for it. And, that's, right. and is it really a tradition or is it just a habit that we've created that we just follow up with every year? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, the fact that, that what kind of really what you've organized is a way to honor um, the individual contributions of the students to the school. Yes. Um, you know, for me, that's so powerful hearing that. Um, you know, I'm... You know, I know that there's been a kind of lots of discussions around awards in our province. Chris uh, Weijer, yeah. uh, you know, in Langley, um, you know, uh, you know, has led a lot of those conversations. And and uh, you know, for me, I'm always interested in um, what are the stories behind the kids who make the contributions, but aren't necessarily receiving honor roll or principals list awards. You know, for me, that's what I want. You know, I want to know the story of of why are they doing that. Yeah, and, and, and the reality is, in a school like ours, a student who's a high achiever is doing some of these outstanding things that, that stick out. So it's not like we're not going to uh, recognize them. Um, but they already know they're good students. Right. And if that's all that we were going to be awarding, then, then you know, having been influenced by Chris Weijer and, and the, the topic of, you know, do you even have an award ceremony? It, it was not something we stepped we kind of stepped into lightly and so that but you know to, uh, I we diverged a little bit yeah. there but it's, it's it's an interesting talk and and that that comes back to that idea so say say those three things again honor uh, oh um, it is honor the past manage the present and create the future so those are the three boxes that I think uh, we always have to be looking at um, you know as leaders uh, is having those three things in mind. You can't just plow forward with something new, because you have to. You you know you do have to manage the feelings that happen with change. You know most uh, most proposed changes, um, uh, when they are kind of shot down or received negatively, um, it's not necessarily on the merits of the change, but it's on the feelings about the person who, who you know who is seeing their world changing. So if we don't manage the feelings and the emotions that happen with that. Um, we're not going to be able to really move forward in the best way possible. 
and and that's what I admire about this uh, group that you've put together is um, you I've said it you said it and I've heard just about everyone I had a conversation with we haven't got it right yet we're still working on it and there's this model of uh, this idea that you know we're still creating and um, I'm, I'm in the habit now of saying you know year five of inquiry hub heading into year six and the teachers are actually still working harder than the students to make this possible because every year they look and say well here's the piece that worked here's the piece that didn't and we sometimes have those conversations in front of the students and what that does is it models us as learners and uh, I think when the teachers are modeling what it's like to be a learner and to make mistakes and to try things in front of the students that's a really powerful uh, thing for students to see and understand and appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. I think every organization ought to be a learning organization. Like, I don't think that um, we should ever have a school that arrives at a place where we go, okay, heavy lifting's done. You know, now we can, now we're good. You know, so for me, um, it really is the power of the design thinking process, which is we can always look at new iterations of, you know, of old ideas. And so, you know, again, I said it before, it is about the users in the building, which includes your staff. Um, and it is looking at, okay, we've tried this, we've tried this. And I think you don't necessarily have to wait for a timetable committee. Um, you can hack your schedule for a week. And, and then you go back to your users, including the staff and the students, say, what did we learn? What did we like? What didn't work? What should we change for next time? You know, another six, eight weeks later, you know, hack your schedule again. You know, see what that's like. I think you could start next week, hack your classroom. Um, at my previous uh, high school, which had a, a traditional um, timetable, um, you know, I encouraged my senior teachers um, to not have to meet with the kids uh, every block every week. So you could have them sign in and you work with the students, who, you know, who need the extra help or that are behind, but the other ones can sign in with you, let you know where they're gonna go and send them on their way. Um, you know, again, I think there's always kind of hacks that we can be doing along the way to, um, to, to, to show students that we're learning too. Um, and we are interested in learning as a process. And, and it, it, there's a couple of things. There's uh, a lot of different models for inquiry. There's a lot of different models for design. And it doesn't matter which model you're using. I think the, the, the piece around that is... Uh, number one, iterations are key, and that you, you know it's it's you're not going to necessarily get it right the first time, and that's not a failure. That is just you trying one iteration before you try uh, the next one. The second piece that I think is really important in those is the empathy for for the person that has the experience, and as you mentioned, it's empathy not just for the student and what their experience is, but empathy for the teacher and what going through this kind of change and experience is for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a principal, most of the decisions that happen really aren't going to affect my kind of my job all that much. Um, whereas decisions we make on the schedule, they directly impact every adult in, or every teacher in the building who's in a classroom, you know, or a learning space like that. So for me, um, you know, it really is about um, creating kind of those hacks so that we can kind of see along the way. And, and looping back to your first uh, point there, when you try something and, and it hasn't worked in the way that you hoped, um, you know, I think it's okay to say that, you know, we failed, but we have to learn from that failure and we have to teach our kids that you're going to try stuff in life that fails. Um, 
and you have to take learning from your failures. So the things that you try and don't work out as you hoped might not have worked out as you hoped, but in everything that you do where it hasn't, there are things that you can learn. And that is the important thing. It is recognizing when things don't end up how you hoped, when the, you know, the hack of the schedule doesn't work for that week in the way that you hoped. What are the things that you take from it? Because there's always something that you can learn. And I think the best learners um, are the learners who can learn not just from reading a book or from attending a conference or whatever, but they're the ones that can look at mistakes uh, or failures and go, ah, okay, I see where that went wrong. Next time, you know, I'll do this instead. It reminds me of uh, our local paper let our, uh, all 14 of our graduates do a little write-up. Um, and, uh, you know, first the self-directed part is I, I mentioned this to them and the next day I came in and said to, uh, said to, the, stu- to the students, you know, we, we got to collect all these. And um, One of my student leaders, Shauna, says to me, Mr. Trust, you haven't checked your Gmail. I've already created a, a note. I put all their names in. They're all going to have it done by this time. And we've, I figured you would want to proofread them before they came, right? And and so there she was. She'd already created that that organization. But what I really loved was when I read them over. You know, these are students deciding on their own what they're going to put out there. The number of them that talked about perseverance and learning through failure, as part of what they valued about their experience at our school was sort of this validation that, that you know, the, they're getting the understanding that a failure is not a failure. And uh, I, I almost feel like we need a new word there. It's something that I've been kind of struggling with. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I think that notion of let's celebrate failure, like I understand what folks are saying, but let's celebrate the learning, right? That's yes. what we should really be celebrating. And, and uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. I think kids can fail try things and 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 they're okay if we coach them through that okay what did you learn i think if we overreact um and make it a huge thing then you know they'll you know you know they're upset they're dejected whatever but okay hey what did we learn from this okay now next week we're trying it again yes and then we're trying it again you know that's where the power is for me and so two parts of that i have an image that i'll share in the links around learning and failure and if failure comes because of a lack of effort, a lack of support, a lack of resources, that's failure. If there's a lack of knowledge, well, that's the magic of being a teacher. Because if you give them too much knowledge, it's not their learning. If you don't give them enough, there's too much frustration. And that's why the teacher's always going to be important in the equation, especially when you do big inquiries and, and, and big problems. So that's that's sort of the, the the one aspect. But the other part too is if, if you if you're doing something where they really are self-directed and having choice, then they're gonna want to persevere through that. You know, if they're doing something that's a teacher's pet project, well, when the failure comes, it's like, well, we're done. Um, a, a third aspect that I think is really important is is when they fail, what does that mean? And for us, when a student, when a new student is doing a, a a project for their inquiry class and it doesn't work out or they don't get what they hope done they're still doing a final presentation in front of everyone they're saying what they learned what they would do differently what they would do if they were to continue and had more time uh, what they'll do in the future and so they know that they still have to put this final presentation out and there's a necessary reflection piece that forces the learning, forces the reflection to, to, to think about what they learn. Because yeah. if you don't create that space for them to reflect, then that then later on they can look back and only see the failure part of it. 
we did uh, last uh, May, at the end of last May, we did a failure wake with our teachers in our district where we ran it at a, um, at a local pub and we had 15 people that got up and, and they talked about their ideas that year that had failed. And uh, we celebrated, um, you know, their learning from their failed ideas. And it was so powerful because teachers, I think, have to, you know, they have to know that when they take risks, um, and it doesn't work out exactly as we hoped, that's okay. Like, we've tried, we're in the game, right? And that's where the value is, right? That's, uh, you know, that's where we see the growth. Uh, and if you never take risks, you're not gonna grow. Thank you for inviting me to that. I really wish I didn't have a conflict in my schedule because that was something I totally wanted to it's participate all good. in. So. It's all good. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's another analogy you gave to me on, on our ride up here that yeah, I love, yeah. and it's the uh, yeah. the switchblade. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, you know, obviously around the province, we're you know a lot of hiring happening right now, um, and so for well, me, you say obviously, but this podcast going to people not just right. Here, sorry, so, yeah. uh, not so obvious for <laughs> you people and uh, wherever you are, but uh, a lot of hiring going on right now. Um, and, you know, so for the past kind of two or three years while I've been at Thomas Haney. Uh, when you look at um, our newly designed curriculum that is in place now, K-9, to and we've got the draft versions of 10 through 12 uh, that, will, that will be implemented in September of 2018, um, there is um, that kind of real opportunity for, for interdisciplinary learning, for cross-curricular learning, uh, for project-based and inquiry learning. So uh, with that in mind, I'm, I'm really trying to hire... Uh, you know, I, I use this analogy, or I've heard this analogy of of um, the switchblade versus the Swiss Army knife. So the switchblade really having one function, the Swiss Army knife having multiple functions. So um, trying to hire teachers with um, knowledge and skills in multiple areas, not just one. So that um, you know, I've got some fantastic shop you know shop teachers right now, but you know, most of them are teaching in the shop and in either humanities or math. Um, or moving into math a little bit. So, you know, those are the things where when you have that, you start to bring the kids into those areas, you know, for things other than just shop, you know, as kind of a field trip. Um, it becomes an integrated project where they get to work in the shops on things that relate to the work that they're doing in things like social studies or math. And that relationship is is really interesting. So, so the... the yeah, so for you, it's not the switchblade, but it's the Swiss Army knife yes, that you're looking yeah. for, right? The idea is you don't want just a switchblade that does the one thing. You want the Swiss Army knife that has many. And, and you touched on something else, too, about the the relevance of the thing happening. When, when, when you do that interdisciplinary um, sort of teaching, you start to bring relevance into the, the two subjects, right? So um, I, I love the... The analogy that one of the, the teachers from West Van, I, I don't remember her name from this, the session today, uh, she actually is in, in home, home ec. And so, I mean, uh, my daughter had some pretty good teachers, but at the same time, you know, my one, t my one daughter went through the, 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 the school and did the, the, the exact same thing the next daughter did as far as uh, home ec and making the same recipes yeah. and so on. And one of her assignments was that they were to design their own food truck. And so, uh, you know, and there's so many elements of that that, that are related to food, but then also to marketing um, and uh, profits and losses and all kinds of different things that you can bring into a, a project like that that has a relevance 
because there are not too many people other than a geology teacher or professor that really only experiences geology in the one context. Totally. Um, you know, I'm going to share an example. We had, um, we hosted a design camp about two weeks ago, which is a series of workshops on design thinking. And we hosted it on a Saturday. And at one of the sessions run by Kwantlen Polytechnic University, um, they talked to the participants at first about chairs and, and asked them, why do we have so many kinds of chairs? Um, and so there's some discussion there. And the design challenge that they had was they brought a bunch of food items um, and they had character cards that described characters on The Simpsons. And so the participants had to choose one of the character cards and then using the food, they designed a chair that met the needs of the character on The Simpsons. So there's a kind of a unique uh, challenge that blends uh, a whole bunch of different areas. Um, you know, but it's really, when you think about that concept, of the different things you could be doing in social studies or in language arts or sciences with that whole idea of using food to create you know things so you know for me it, it's it's about looking at new ways of of using things around us to create connections and to create metaphors with students and, and what i love about that assignment is by design it requires you to think of empathy of the use end user of the of the product well, and when you think about um, where we are as a province um, with our emphasis on social-emotional learning, the root of social-emotional learning is empathy, um, you know, and understanding. So, you know, there's this really neat link, um, you, know, uh, you know, if you look at, at a number of models uh, for design thinking, you know, the first thing is empathy or empathize with your users. When you look at social-emotional learning, the first thing is, you know, empathy for, you know, for others. And so... You know, I think the more we can wrap empathy into what it is that we're doing, and again, when you create a flexible schedule, um, you're really empathizing with the needs of our students, uh, which are we don't have to be doing the same thing all the time for every kid. We can create individual schedules. We can create structures that allow for flexibility for individuals that, you know, that show them empathy. But at the same time, we're showing empathy for teachers you know, as well who might have ideas that they can't implement because of block scheduling. You know, so for me, that's kind of the real power of empathy is to create a system that recognizes the needs of everybody. And so one, one topic I'd like to move into, thanks for bringing it back to flexible schools and schedules and so on. One of the things I'd like to bring up is the fact that you might be in a school that is never gonna consider something like a flexible block or, or one that is somewhat restrictive. So I always try to think of, well, if you're an educator, what can you individually do in your classroom in order to make the, be, be more empathetic towards the experience of the student and to give them more choice? Well, I think it starts with, um, uh, you know, hacking your own classroom is something that anybody is able to do. So, you know, A, you start with what is the problem that you want to solve? Um, kind of what are the needs that you want to address? And then you work backwards from there. I think if we're talking about more choice, um, it really is looking at research on inquiry and looking at research on self direction because there's nothing preventing you in a five by five block schedule from allowing your students to be more self directed than you know what they might be now um, you know again it's not easy it takes time it takes practice and it takes multiple iterations 
but you know we're we're playing around with some stuff even at at, at Thomas Haney um, where we're working on a kind of a new tool um, you know that will support teachers and students in becoming more self-directed so I think you kind of beginning with reading there um, changing up you know your assignments providing the students with the um, the curricular competencies that you're working with um, and asking them you know how do you think you know we should work backwards you know here's the big ideas here's the curricular competencies well, you know what's you know how do you want to tackle these things how do you want to represent your learning rather than just saying okay here's what we're doing and you can do a poster or you know a report yeah. you know I or think get it, really fancy and do a PowerPoint right yeah, which, right. Uh, which is it's just uh, that's not necessarily making the the project more of a choice uh, by giving them one more opportunity to right. deliver it in a different in a different way. Yeah, I actually think it, that you might have to look at the materials that you're using. So, um, let's say that you're looking at at, at drama, for example. Um, what does it have to be Shakespeare? Um, you know, my opinion, no. But uh, that's just my opinion. However, so maybe you look at the reading materials so that um, you provide the students um, with maybe you know a choice of three or four different plays you know of different genres so maybe there is you know Shakespeare for those students that want to run with but maybe there's also um, you know um, you know something involving Aboriginal playwrights um, or modern theater you know that kind of stuff Arthur Miller those things so that it's not just everyone has to do Shakespeare because we're doing Shakespeare so again, it's knowing what the big ideas are. And I think sometimes people mistake the idea of giving this more choice to a loss of rigor. And that's something that I think that um, uh, is, is a mistake. And in fact, sometimes the, 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 when the student is doing one of these in-depth projects, the depth to which they will study a subject goes far beyond what the expectation of a typical class is. And an example I like to give is, uh, you know, if a, if, if a student has to produce uh, an essay and they say, can I create a video? Well, my teacher might say, well, it has to have a thesis statement and you have to defend it, uh, at least three different topics or ideas or something like that. And, and actually allow them to do a video um, that meets the criteria around the expectation, except it'll be verbal instead of written. That doesn't mean the very next time that comes up. At some point, the teacher's going to say, well, no, you, I actually want to see your writing. I want to see it this way and and so it doesn't mean that they have freedom all the time or that they can be exempt from certain sort of expectations what it often means is you know and the reality is um, that video um, it might be actually harder to meet all the criteria if that's what they choose and so you know given feedback and going back and forth they might realize actually it's harder to do it this way uh, but it might be easier for them and it might be a way for them to actually start to articulate things they haven't been able to do because they are challenged writing and so they don't have to do five written assignments that are all essay structure but maybe just three of them and two are a completely unique way where they're also meeting those outcomes well I think we have to remember that rigor too ought to be you know individual to the student so we I don't think we can expect every kid to reach the same level of proficiency all the time so I think when I think about my own learning um, and I think about you know the choices that I have and what when uh, where and why I'm learning you know I'm you know I'm a 43 year old adult who can self-regulate uh, so if I get into something that I'm not enjoying you know, you know I can leave you know, I'll put the book down you know, I'll do whatever but if I'm 13 uh, and I'm frustrated with what's happening around me 
um, and I have to be there, that can be super challenging because those kids might not have the skills yet where they can self-regulate and self-advocate. So why not take the initiative as the adult to provide that student with a little bit more choice to change with how we structure things um, to recognize that we do have a wide variety of learners that are working with us. And, you know, I think as adults, um, we, would, we would not leave ourselves in a situation where we're, where we're feeling like our learning needs aren't being met. We, we, you know, we would act um, and we would react and we would, we would you know, make adjustments so that you know, we feel like our time is being used for something worthwhile. I think um, it, you know, we should afford our students the same opportunities. And, and you talked about office referrals when you lightened up on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, at Thomas Haney, there's more set classes at the grade 8 and 9 level. So we do see more office referrals at those grades. Um, yeah, but we don't see a ton. Uh, again, it's, it's the, kind of the nature of our model. Our teacher advisory system, a lot of our issues they seem to be managed at that level. Um, but, you know, at oftentimes by the time we get to grade 10, we have very few, we, well, we have almost no referrals from t teachers for kind of misbehavior stuff uh, you know we intercept some stuff that happens that's normal for that age group but not a ton uh, so again it's if you remove those those obstacles for student success uh, and sometimes you know for some students to have them in a classroom for five days a week uh, you know five and a half hours a day that is a barrier to their success and so when you remove those barriers um, kids you know, they can feel more successful and their feelings about school change. Uh, well, one of the exciting things that we, we, we both get to experience is uh, the problems that come to our, our offices often are, Mr. Trust, we want to do this and it's something just massive that has a scale that kind of scares you and you're sitting there going, I love your enthusiasm. I'm not sure I can make that work, but what can we do instead? And uh, you know, I, uh, I was—I mentioned the fact that uh, I have these kids that want to build a tiny home in my school. I can't do it, but but here are some options for what they can do to actually figure out a way to do it. And then you tell me that you can actually have that happen next year in your school. Yeah. So I mean, they've ordered the trailer for the tiny home. The shop guys are all going to work on it as a group. You know. However, you know, like you, you know, there was an idea for a flamethrower. <laughs> which I, I promptly shot down and said there will be no flamethrowers here at school. So, you know, again, though, uh, it's the notion that, um, uh, you know, I will share a quick story about a frozen yogurt machine. So my first year there, uh, one of our kids named Matt, he found this old frozen yogurt machine in the dungeon, hauled it out, uh, kind of looked at it, tore it apart a bit, uh, had it working for like a day and then it quit so he phoned the manufacturer the sales rep from the manufacturer the guy he comes out he says okay I think these are the parts you need you know but I'm I'm really impressed with your ingenuity and your determination so you can have the parts for free so he got it up and running and it worked for like a week and then it broke so then the student approaches me and says look I talked to the guy you know this machine is dead you know there's no point in fixing it however he'll sell us a new frozen yogurt machine for a significant discount. So I said, well, you know, that's a lot of money and, and I, you know, I'm not sure of, you know, of whether or not I should say yes. So what I'm gonna do is I'll, you know, is I'll set you up with, you know, with my senior team. You create a business plan, you present it to my senior team, which includes the secretary treasurer, uh, and if they green light it, I'm good to go. So their plan was to use a third party lender for, um, 
you know, for, uh, for you know, for the money, uh, you know, the, you know, this is a, a lender that's involved in the restaurant industry. So they went in with their business plan, and they nailed it. They killed their business plan. It was so good, and uh, it was so well done that my secretary treasurer phoned and said, um, "Look, we've decided that we're going to lend them the money. Um, however, we don't want them to use a third-party lender. Uh, we're going to lend them the money at at no interest." Fantastic. So then, though, the cool part is we get this frozen yogurt, kind of the frozen yogurt machine in. Uh, then the, one of the boys uh, completes the chemistry 10 unit um, completely uh, via the frozen yogurt machine and what he's learned <laughs> about making frozen yogurt. So, you know, that's just kind of one of those things where when we clear the schedule out of the way, it lets kids really run with things that they're super interested in. And I later learned that before he asked me for this frozen yogurt machine, he was trying to convince Menchies to let him have a franchise. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yes. And, and uh, you know, that's so entrepreneurial. And um, this past Saturday, uh, there's a group called the Young Entrepreneurship Leadership Launchpad. And uh, they are a group of, it started with uh, three uh, young businessmen who decided that they wanted to provide entrepreneurial experiences for students and they've they've created a program where teachers in different districts including Coquitlam will um, uh, put students through a design uh, model uh, so it's actually um, it's a business model not a business plan and so they learn about the actual model they incubate an idea with mentors in the community that they've been able to to pull in and uh, uh, these mentors um, get really involved and excited with the kids and then they do a venture challenge where they're they're um, presenting to professors and to uh, um, business people in the community that have been coming back the, this is now their uh, fourth year that th these same people come back because and, and they continually say you know we we're, we're busy people we wouldn't come back if we didn't find this so valuable and watching these students pitch in a, in a sort of a dragon's den or sharks then style pitch to um, you know to people in the community what I love about it is you watch these mentors that were with them through the, the whole experience and it's hard to tell the mentors from the parents because they're just so excited to, yeah. to see these things go and 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 these students um, are so enriched by this experience of uh, you know taking this product and, and um, I have uh, uh, the group that won last year, the we're, we're from Coquitlam, and there are two boys who are taking the idea that won. They're actually, with permission from parents, not going back to university for second year so that they can pursue this uh, um, objective to to make this product work. And what's amazing is, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the student who came back and spoke about his experience, and and he says, he says, you know. University will still be there, and I'm going to do it. But I couldn't pass up on this opportunity. And I think what a what a wonderful real life experience for a kid to, to leave school with something that you know. I, I I I see what they're doing, and I think that they're going to be successful. Totally. If it's a complete failure, that one year experience that they're going to have next year, trying to make this go, will be such a rich experience compared to any schooling they can. Yeah, I was going to say they will learn more from that year than they would learn from, you know, anything else. And so that's where, you know, that's where the value is. You know, whether it's, you know, a successful quote-unquote product or not, 
you know their success will stem from what they learn you know along the way at 18 yeah that's crazy yeah. like that's crazy yeah I, I think too of uh, I didn't I didn't I went back to school at 28 to get all the requirements to go into teachers college at 29 or sorry 29 to get into teachers college at 30 um, and when I was in teachers college at that age the experience that I had beforehand made that such a richer much richer experience and I think of a, a kid that has you know a successful first year of university taking a year off to explore a venture when they go back as a student and it's just, they're just gonna have such a mature lens for what that schooling is that I think that you know they can only benefit from it yeah absolutely yeah that, and, and on that note I, I think we're really seeing a movement away from you know university being the only answer uh, uh, for students and we have so many students who are interested in trades and interested in careers that where a college uh, can do better than a university and, and, and I, I like what I see there in the diversity of people being empowered to make those those choices um, where I'd like to see more choice is when they're in school they're helping they're having those opportunities to follow those passions and really discover what they want to do after school before they actually hit the grade 12 and, uh, and are sitting with marks in hand not knowing what they want to do next yeah, you know, I've, you know, I'd really like to see um, more kind of, uh, you know, and maybe we will, but more kind of authentic career exploration at younger grades. Um, you know, and a lot of that is, is can we get them out into the world um, you know, or our, our communities looking almost like anthropologists at work and seeing what's out there so that, um, you know, again, uh, you know, there's value in a formal education, but there's also value in kind of wandering around and seeing what's going on. Uh, you know, so I think if we can if we can connect more kids with a purpose at an earlier time, they'll likely have a more enjoyable time in school because we're feeding their purpose. Uh, former principal of mine used to say it's about blending uh, blending the line between living and learning. And uh, I think that that's a, that's a big piece too, is the idea that, uh, you know, when we, as we get more flexible, well, what does a school day look like? And can we have community events happening at the school during the school time? And can what a student um, is doing for school extend beyond the day into their passions and, and then get credit for it? Well, I think if you look at the core competencies as well, you know, they're not just about recognizing the school work you know, or things at school, but it is about who you are away from school. So if, 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 if we're there with the core competencies, and for me, the core competencies are what actually matter as a parent. Um, you, know, you, know, that's, you know, I'm interested in what my daughter thinks about herself and the metacognition around why she thinks the way that she thinks about herself. Um, you know, I'm, not, you know, I'm not all that interested in remarks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be far more interested over the next few years to kind of, you know, have those discussions with her, you know, kind of about her goals and her dreams and, and what she needs to achieve the things that she wants to achieve. And I, I'm really hopeful that the core competencies are the lever for all of us to have those conversations in high school, uh, you know, with our students and act as mentors and as coaches, not just as kind of formal teachers. That's excellent. Any other last thoughts? 
I'm getting hungry. Yeah, we need a restaurant <laughs> here soon. We've been driving for a while. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that I want to thank you for actually organizing the flexible schools. Uh, oh, thank you. My pleasure. I, I think that, uh, it's been extremely valuable and days like this, are just leave my mind going, you know, there's so much potential and there's so much opportunity and whether it's one person offering, you know, uh, an opportunity in their class for students to have junior hour or follow a passion or, you know, um, I'll give the, the story. When I first tried blogging with students, I, I did it for a two-week project because I knew there was an end. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so if it was an epic fail, it was a two-week fail. Um, but it just launched me into a whole new direction uh, as an educator. And I think that, you know, pick that one unit that you, you've always hated and go, what can I make interesting it. about it? Hack, Hack it. it. That's Hack fantastic. It. Yeah. And my, my final note on that is don't do it alone. Uh, we are uh, in a, a very social environment in the sense of uh, we teach students the value of communicating and working in groups and cooperation and then we silo ourselves into our own individual subjects or our own individual classroom and I've never seen as an educator uh, um, two teachers that haven't got together that haven't built something better than if it was just one person and Absolutely. so there's so many opportunities to collaborate to find that time to have the conversation to bounce ideas off each other because when that happens that's when the magic really begins absolutely i mean you know even uh, kind of the ride up to Osiris and this ride back for me uh you know has been so powerful to be in a car with someone that i admire and respect and share ideas um i could have made the drive alone um, and probably would have listened to a lot of music. You know, and I would have thought, but I wouldn't have had the conversations that we've had, which is really where the power is and where, you know, I know over these eight hours in the car, all have actually grown um, in my thought processes. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, 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 you, you said it at the start. You said we, we, had, we had a four-hour pro D session before yeah, we even yeah. arrived at the session uh, today. So on that note, uh, go find someone to collaborate with and to, ha and to have those learning conversations with. And uh, remember to have those conversations not with, with teachers, but with your students as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks.